Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, uh, where we talk tech, computing, games, uh, the internet, on the desk, we have uh, Dan Morganti. Dan, how's, how's your week been in technology? Uh, yeah, it's been okay. I'm having trouble with my router at the moment, so I've contacted my service provider and they're sending me a new one, but that's been pretty frustrating. Well, hopefully they, they get that sorted for you quickly. Yeah, it's uh, the new one's on the way, so once that's done, everything should be A-OK. Nice. And we also have Joe Eaton. Joe, have you had a, a good week in tech? I have been dealing with some remote login, working from home, fun times. But apart from that, technology seems to be serving me well. How about you, Warren? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I have a bit of that as well. I, I constantly have to change from sort of tethering to uh, to my ADSL, which is about to get thrown out the window as I get NBN tomorrow, hopefully. But um no, it's been okay. I've had some good laughs, uh, good laughs on uh, Whereby and some silly times on Zoom. So it's been not too bad. Excellent. Mm. Tonight on the show, we have uh, a ripper, I think. Um, we've got uh, a few great guests and uh, a bunch of news to rip into and some weird robot stuff as well, which always makes me smile. I think Australia does a pretty good job of uh, exporting stuff. Uh, a large part of our economy for a long time has been uh, sport-driven. But um, unfortunately, some parts of our uh, cultural exports are unfairly advantaged. There's been some recent conversations uh, in Parliament around uh, tax offsets for uh, for film and for TV, but uh, video games uh, have not really enjoyed that advantage uh, in recent years. Um, our guest, uh, CEO of um, IGEA, uh, Ron Curry, will uh, break that down for us um, in uh, a little while. Um, also, um, having a bit of a games night, um, we're going to be having a chat with uh, Cecile Richard, uh, who's a, a games creator and also collaborator, uh, Nick Brown of Cable Tires, who are hanging about and going to uh, join us a little bit later in the show to talk about what they've been up to. But um, before then, we do have uh, a bit of news and such to get into. I guess for Victorians, for many Victorians, um, they would be well aware that we're back in uh, stage three restrictions again related to uh, COVID-19 and, and kind of keeping the bug, getting it under control again, I guess. There's been a, a new tool that caught my eye um, by some of the uh, larger retail shops. Obviously, we're still out there, you know, buying stuff and getting stuff um, as we need as one of those four, four reasons for going out. But... Um, Having had a few more cases this time around in, in this wave of COVID, um, uh, a few more precautions are, are warranted. So, you know, we're out there wearing masks and, and, and doing the right thing. Well, hopefully you are if you're listening. One of the things that's helping, though, is when we go out and do our shopping, uh, it's kind of interesting to know, is the place busy? So some of the large retailers have added some features to their app, which helps you by, you can put in your postcode and you can actually see if there's queues there or if there's a lot of people down there. So some of the stores like uh, Woolworths, I think Bunnings, uh, Spotlight that I was at the other week have, yeah, really kind of, I guess, taken staff and customer um, uh, safety seriously at the moment as they should. Um, there's a bunch of ways that you can sort of, you know, make it easier rather than sort of queuing up in the store uh, things like Woolworths uh, QTracker uh, uses real-time data to monitor busy periods for stores, lets people know sort of how many people are in there roughly. Um, what do you folks think about that? Would that make you more inclined to to pop down to the shop and 
get some sausages or pick up a, a, a baguette? I've been trying to go to my local grocers over the big chains just to try and keep some local stuff going. But as someone who is a little bit anxious, I think if I were to be going to one of the bigger stores, I would find that quite useful. Yeah, I think timing is really important. I remember last time around they had the um, the this, like the seniors hour where people who were struggling to get in and um, get get the loo paper and get stuff. Um, supermarkets did a pretty good job of of um, helping that happen. Um, That's a great idea. Mm, I wonder if uh, I wonder if they'll kind of give that a nudge this time around as well. Um, what do you reckon, Dan? Would you, would you kind of check this out if you if you had to use one of these um, larger stores, if you were kind of doing a shed project in the backyard or something and heading down to Bunnings? Yeah, um, yeah, just smacking some timber together with some nails like I uh, <laughs> usually do. I'm very, very handy. Just I want to get that out there. Um, but, no, I, I definitely would use it. And uh, I just hope it works uh, as well as – or I hope it works better than some of the other uh, COVID apps that we've seen pop up recently Ooh, you yes. know what i'm talking about another thing i'd seen some supermarkets pushing was to um book a time for your shop so that could be an interesting future shopping scenario yeah i feel like we could game that that could be the the next kind of tinder thing like you know uh i was going down <laughs> from that 3 p.m shop and the 3 p.m fruit were there absolutely <laughs> Um, another thing that was slightly silly, um, there's been, a, I guess, a bit of back and forth um, between Australia and China in terms of diplomacy um, in recent weeks. And I guess one of the darling apps of this year has been put in the sights of the, the relationship between the two. Australians, Australian government has some concern about uh, TikTok. Um, it does have uh, um, uh, ownership based in China. And is a bit concerned about their data ethics and, and um, um, they're saying it's not about politics and, and it's not about the argy-bargy, but it's actually been going a, a little bit around the world um, over the past week or two. Um, some companies, I think Amazon, um, all employees were asked to um, delete the app um, uh, uh, and then were allowed to kind of um, reinstall it. But, um, yeah, India has put a ban um, uh, on TikTok along with uh, more than 50 other Chinese-developed apps. Um, and now US and Australia are kind of grappling with this and, um, and kind of um, restrictions there. I don't know. I, mean, it's, I, I feel a little bit um, confused about why concerns about this particular app, um, uh, apps from all around the world and many apps from China that uh, people have been using for quite some time are commonplace. I don't know. Do you, do you feel like maybe the olds just don't like to dance so much, so maybe TikTok is, is kind of um, in their sights? Well, I, I agree with the ban, like not because of this reason, strictly for taste reasons. Like I don't like anything that comes out of TikTok. So uh, uh, other than that, no, of course, I don't support any bans on what we can and can't download. Mm. How, how do you guys generally feel about, um, like, as a from a you know layperson's kind of user perspective, about um, do you have any concerns about using an app that's based in one country or the other? Do you kind of police it in that way? I've always assumed that a lot of servers are overseas anyway, so I wouldn't be able to exactly tell you like where my apps are hosted anyway. So it's not it's not something that I was keeping up with, but mm. if there is a a risk of a known risk of using certain apps for say identity theft or you know used by an international uh, government for nefarious purposes and maybe I would reconsider 
Mm. Interesting. This, such as this example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the other side to this uh, conversation as well. Um, uh, obviously, we're we're in a, an election year in the states, and um, the the slogan from 2016 has kind of um, popped back up again. Uh, uh, MAGA or MAGA, Make America Great Again. Um, Trump has kind of uh, repurposed the um, the catch catch cry in reference to four of the larger uh, tech giants. Um, an interesting feature of the uh, the coronavirus uh, or COVID nineteen has been that while some uh, some businesses have, have been hit quite hard uh, for for obvious reasons, um, some of the technology firms have actually done very well um, off the back of uh, shifting uh, behaviour around working from home and uh, the types of services and um, businesses we rely on. Um, the world's four biggest technology companies have actually gained more than US one point three trillion dollars uh, in combined value since the start of the year. And that actually compares to the US $1.7 trillion combined market capitalization of all of the rest of the, the FTSE 100 firms, which um, uh, is interesting. Um, yeah, so Microsoft, Apple, Google, uh, Google's parent company, Alphabet and Amazon um, are now all priced at more than uh, US $1 trillion. Um, and uh, yeah, that kind of uh, stock valuation is... Um, uh, it's absurd. Saying, yeah, you know... Yes. Um, America great again. Yeah, that's that is absolutely insane. That it's so hard to comprehend how much money that even is. Like they, you hear those stats about a company like this could pay for everyone to have a home and and still be you know billionaires. It's it it yeah uh, boggles the mind. Well, I think yeah, potentially there's the you know. We've been talking about this for some time now, but there is a really good case for, for breaking these companies up and making them at more of a scale that countries can deal with. But yeah, that's a that's another whole big conversation in itself, I guess. Yeah, um, in better news, um, Joe, you've got some MIF programming news. Yeah, the um, MIF program came out yesterday. So it is all stream at home and you can buy tickets to individual um, or groups of movies and um, watch during the festival at a time and sofa that suits you. Um, there's a, one particular film that uh, we're all looking forward to. Um, we've been had a couple of email threads about it. It's called Coded Bias. It's a documentary and it follows an MIT researcher who discovered that facial recognition technology was not recognising darker skinned faces accurately. So she um, then pushes for legislation to be created against bias and algorithms. So it sounds like a really interesting documentary um, covering everything from the evils of surveillance through to systemic racism in tech. Um, should be a good watch. I think that's probably our pick of the festival. Oh, that sounds great. What's the what's the URL? Um, uh, like uh, Myth.com.au, I think. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll tweet, we'll tweet that we'll out. We'll tweet the link to the movie. Mm. Um, Dan, you've been keeping an eye on a bar in Sydney that um, has got a, a novel idea. Is that right? Yeah. So to deal with uh, zero contact policies, uh, Heineken has opened up a contactless bar tended by robots for its alcohol-free beer. Um, so from today, patrons in Sydney uh, can attend the Heineken Zero Contact Bar. Uh, zero being the play on words that there's zero contact and the beer is called Heineken Zero clever uh and it, yeah there's two robot arms called Heidi and Ken who deliver it via conveyor belt all the way around 
the bar. So if you're into it, um, yeah, head on down if you're in Sydney. Nice. Yeah. Speaking uh, of nice, um, you've got your own a game that's um, a little bit expensive but probably worth the money anyway. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. If you're a collector like me, this may be just out of my price range, but uh, Super Mario Bros. Uh, original Nintendo Entertainment System copy uh, sell, sold for $114,000. Um, it's uh, in mint condition, still wrapped in its plastic, which is part of the reason it's so expensive. Um, also, it's from a limited run of games where this particular cardboard box had a hang tab for it where the hole was never punched out for it to be hung, um, which makes it far more valuable in the eyes of collectors for some reason. So um, <laughs> wow. a, t- a tiny bit of uh, cardboard uh is the reason it's much higher than the next highest version, which still uh, got a tidy sum of $100,150, which was a game that was originally released in market testing in New York and LA, same Super Mario Bros game, but uh, wasn't in mint condition, so only fetched the $100,000. Yeah, so if you're in the market for a a Super Mario game mint condition, um, the... Anonymous purchaser says that they're likely to part with it in the future, but only for the right price. So how big is your wallet? You'll be able to snatch up a copy of Super Mario Bros. That, that version of Mario Brothers was so good. We we got that for Christmas one year and we would secretly sneak it out of the hiding place for the Christmas gift, play it every day and then repackage it and put it back <laughs> in the cupboard. Yeah. And we'd actually it by the time Christmas came around. Sorry, Mum. So then all you had to do is replay it. It's endless hours of uh, replayability. Did you get the version with the Duck Hunt as well? It was uh, Super Mario mm-hmm. slash Duck Hunter. No, it was tough tough times back then. Yeah. I had to go to my cousin's house to play that. We had a Commodore 64 instead. Oh, beauty. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Like, any time you can play video games is a good time. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R with Joe, Dan and Warren. If you do enjoy your games, as uh, all of us do on Bite Into It and, and uh, many of you out there, hopefully, um, you'd be interested in anything that supports the uh, strong development of games uh, and the game industry uh, here in Australia. Uh, last month, the Parliamentary Committee on Trade and Investment Growth tabled uh, the final report of its inquiry, uh, Trade Transformation Supporting Australia's Exports and Investment Opportunities to Parliament. Um, in its report, the committee is actually recommending the government introduce a refundable tax offset for video game development in Australia. So if you've ever been interested in kind of getting your game on, um, it could be the time is almost nigh. And we're now joined uh, on the line by the CEO of uh, IGEA, uh, Ron Curry, who's going to, um, I guess, shed some light on this for us. Uh, Ron, thanks for being with us on the show tonight. Yeah. Hi, Warren. No worries at all. Um, has this been, I, I guess, the culmination of a, a lot of work for, for um, the games community in Australia? Um, how long have we kind of been working to, to get this sort of equitable treatment under under tax? Oh, it's been a very long time um, that various either game bodies or individual game have been pushing for this. And in our case, it's I guess it's been at least seven or eight years we've been having this conversation with government on a really formal basis. Um and it's, you know, we, we haven't got there yet, but it's it's good to see that um, we at least have a committee who agrees with us. And and over the years, we've you know we've had various um, Senate committees have various um, recommendations, which have always pretty much included 
the recommendation to give treat games uh, equitably with the film industry. We just haven't seen the government uh, have the appetite to do that yet. How is it that it's that's taken so long? Uh, how long have um, the film industry and television industry had, uh, I guess, a bit of an advantage over video games for? Um, forever. That's, that's probably the simplest way of saying it. Um, all the legislation around um, these sort of um, offsets or rebates have generally said this is applicable to all screen industries, except video games. Um, and... Ever since its inception, if you go back in, in time looking at Screen Australia funding and various other funding models, it's they're written to include all screen with the exclusion of games. Interesting. Um, and what, what do you think might bring about a change now? What, why is kind of it different in 2020, do, do you hope or think? What I think is what we've managed to have the conversation with government over a, over a long period of time is removing the stigma. First off, removing the stigma about games. If you go to talk to a politician about, hey, this is a serious industry that needs to be treated like a serious industry, like you would treat film, like you would treat TV, but their first uh, reaction is, oh, hang on a sec, you know, this is just, this isn't really an industry. It's about kids. It's about, you know, shoot 'em ups um, you know all the stereotypes. I guess I don't have to go through them with you. And it's first off, it's about breaking down those stereotypes and then convincing those politicians. It's on kind of on two fronts. Is this an art, a craft, a creative industry? And secondly, is it an industry that's that's trade-focused, that's employment-focused, that's technology-focused? And I think we've come to that point where we can convince at least a lot of government that we're at that, I guess, that junction between creativity technology, employment, trade, export. You know, we're an industry that's born global. We're the perfect export. You don't dig us up, you don't ship us. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a green export industry. And just because this was uh, in the report for exports and attracting investments, um, do you think this will bring more AAA uh, publishers to our shore, uh, seeing as we haven't really had any big publishers uh, for, I don't know, 15 years or since the global financial crisis around then? Yeah, we operate in a, in a global competitive environment. So if you want to open a studio to create games, you know, what you do is you look around and say, well, where's the best place to do it? And if you look at Canada, for example, then look at Australia. Canada straight up is 30% cheaper than Australia. And that's probably why Canada has somewhere around 28,000 full-time game developers there, and Australia has about 1,200. Um, and, and they're the kind of conversations we're having with government. So, well, you know, can you explain to us why, you know, there's 28,000 full-time workers in Canada, why there's 15,000 in the UK, and, you know, Australia is, is batting, you know, 1,200 against that. So it's by having the right incentives and levers in place that gets the large studios to move into your territory. Um, and large studios aren't just self-serving. What happens when you have a large studio, mid-sized studios and smaller, you have a full ecosystem. You have somewhere where all your students can go. There's around 4,000 students enrolled at the moment doing various degrees related to video games. And there's only 1,200 jobs. So where are they all going to go? Yeah. So it's by having these bigger studios creating a they're training our graduates. So those graduates can go and open their own businesses. They, they take that skill set that they're learning and go and create their own businesses and employ more people. 
and all of a sudden we have this kind of what we look at is this kind of this fountain effect. You join, you learn, you grow within these big businesses, and then you go and start creating your own businesses. These great bespoke indie, really um, smart um, studios. So is this uh, like um, looking to support uh, our current uh, development scene as much as possible as well, rather not just bring in investment? Yeah, look, absolutely. This this needs to support uh, acting investment and this businesses that are here. It's no good just ignoring those. And we see things like uh, introduced um, rebate, the ten percent rebate, um, to set one that comes in, but also picking up by local development studios. And we're hoping things like that in South Australia starts to incentivise the other states. Competing, you know, when particular places like Victoria are very competitive in this sector, look across the South Australia. So actually, you know, we should be introducing something like this. Queensland, New South Wales, WA, etc. What we hope is that we have this uh, have this effect where each of the states start competing again against each other, and hopefully that drives the the Commonwealth also to start much seriously at these recommendations and not just accepting them as recommendations, but actually doing something about them. Since since we started chatting uh, a couple of weeks ago about being on the show. Um, then it released a series of submissions to the Australian Stories on Screens Review, yet another government um, review. Austrade um, put in a submission which really heavily supported um, game development and extending the rebate to game development. South Australian Film Corporation was the same. Film Victoria is the same. So there's certainly lots of people, lots of agencies uh, who support this. Um, and slowly but surely we're seeing the, um, the Commonwealth Government come around. I'd be interested to know for, at a really kind of grassroots level what these kind of tax offsets would mean to certain businesses. So that you're talking about those kind of 4,000 students coming through right sure. now. If they wanted to start something in the next few years, how, how would they start to think about it if, if this um, tax break does come through? I actually don't think that the tax break is going to um, impact or help those, um, those smaller studios that are just starting out. So the other thing we're working on and talking to the government about is the uh, Interactive Games Fund which when we last had a, a Labor government was in place and it was pulled by the current um, coalition. And it then has funding that, that allows um, smaller studios to get funding in games, so the actual creation of the game, but also um, enterprise funding, so setting up their businesses. So one set of funding is not going to help the, the whole ecosystem. What we're after is a, whole, is a number of levers um, that are going to help um, studios whether they're a one- or two-person studio, 30 to 50-person studio, or a 300 or hopefully 3,000-people studio like they have in Canada. So sticking to the, um, the offset, um, I don't think that's, that's really where smaller studios are going to be. But certainly there's other levers that we want in place to support them. Yeah, and so if, this, uh, if the recommendations are listened to, what, what do you uh, see in the future for Australia? What's the the most optimistic view of um, video game development in Australia? We, we pitched to the government that we reckon we can hit easily a billion dollars a year in revenue. It's up from, you know, the $100 million we are now. And more importantly, 90% of that will come from overseas. So it's export-driven dollars. 
which is what this country needs. That's how we're going to get out of this, the situation we're in now. We're going to have to export ourselves out of a recession. Um, you know, we'll see, we're hoping 10,000 full-time um, game developers. And then we'll see actually precincts within each of the major cities where um, it's a creative hub. And that creative hub includes or is driven by game developers. Um, and that hub should include places like Perth and Canberra and Hobart as well. That that's fantastic. I mean, we're already we're already seeing so much great Australian content get out there. It's uh... government at the moment. It's called Game Engine. It's on our website, which is igea.net, and it's spelled out a pathway to reaching that billion dollars for it. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, it's good. It's we're already seeing so much Australian great Australian video game content coming out. It's um, it'd be nice it's to see. Be uh, amazing to see what happens once. Uh, uh, we get some proper funding behind them. Um, Ron, thanks so much. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. You are listening to Bite Into It on Triple R. And joining us now is Cecile Richard and Nick from Cable Ties to discuss uh, Cecile's new game and a collaboration between the band and Cecile. So, guys, welcome to the show. Hello. Um, it's good to be here. Yeah. I'm actually kind of nervous. <laughs> That's okay. It's uh, we're, We all still get nervous uh, from time nice. to time. Yeah, getting on I air. I definitely do. Yeah. Um. So I guess we'll start with uh, your recently released game, Under a Star Called Sun. Um, do you want to take us through uh, the emotional roller coaster that was, I'm assuming, making this game and what this game's become? Um, yeah. Um, so um, this is my, my newest game that I've released, like, uh, it must have been, like, two weeks ago or something, a week ago, whatever. Um, it was, like, commissioned to, to um, commissioned by, by by Liminal, which is a publication that publishes works by um, Asian Australians. Um, and I was really lucky to be approached by them. And they were like, hey, can you make us, make us a game? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I had this motivation, I guess. I had this... I, it, it's so, so Under a Star Called Sun is a game about grief and about memories that you can't quite hold on to and carrying the world on your shoulders. And it's, it's been, it's, it's inspired, I guess, like it is a game that I made for a friend of mine who passed away last, last year. And I decided to make this because it, it kind of like the, the, theme for this um series that i was part of that, that this game was part of um on liminal is glitch and i was like oh what's the you know i think grief and a friend's you know death is a pretty big glitch in someone's life and i thought it was like a good theme like i mean i guess it was a good like fit for this theme and and it just kind of came naturally because it's it's it, it was something that i wanted to make for a while now and so I managed to you know kind of like extrapolate those feelings and make something out of it um something good out of it actually I'm pretty proud of it um and yeah so I made it 
um, on this little engine called Bitsy, and it's one that anyone can use really because it's super easy to use. And so it's it visually it's very simple. It's pixel art. It's like um, only three colors um, it's, that it's, are allowed. It's, it's amazing for like how simplistic it is. How much. Um, how vivid it is like the very simple colors but still you can you can see the the spaceship and uh like how well designed it is visually it's uh yeah really quite a quite an amazing looking game and a great sounding game as well did you do all the music for this as well yeah um yeah it's it's so funny because i was like i'm not a musician um nick is <laughs> um but yeah i'm not a musician but i was like oh well you know i can't be bothered looking for tracks and stuff like for use um just like uh, you know like the the ones that you can just kind of use without asking <laughs> like i was like oh i can't be bothered to look for that especially because i wanted like a specific mood for it so i was like well what if i just made my own and um i used this uh kind of funny little tool that like someone made on the internet called beepbox.co and it's one that you can just kind of like play around with and I played around with it and I was like huh this sounds kind of cool it sounds kind of melancholic this is kind of the mood that I want so I just used that <laughs> it was actually really funny to kind of like play around with it and yeah like it kind of feels like this complete like all encompassing like work that I finally made like because until until now like it, I've been mostly like borrowing people's tracks and stuff yeah. uh, and this time it's just all me which is cool and so Nick I'm, I'm interested to know and and I guess Cecile as well um this kind of DIY make it yourself kind of ethos is kind of a very Melbourne thing is that is that how you two came together to kind of get how you go and, and doing it yourself um no so um um my band cable ties got approached by the vmdo which is the victorian music development office who is a government funded organization i guess that tries to um help develop um sustainable careery type stuff for people who work in music and play music and um, they said they were launching a new pilot program for uh, that they wanted to try to get an independent game developer and an independent band together to um, to work on a video game. And they um, and yeah, specifically to to license an existing piece of work um, to be used as the soundtrack for it as well. I'd love to know kind of like what the first meeting was like where you two got together going, okay, we're going to do this thing. Um, I think like uh, the first, honestly, it wasn't as awkward as you would imagine um, because we kind of like were already kind of like introduced by email and we were like, oh yeah, we have like similar vibes and we got to like, um, Cable Ties got to got to play some of my games and I was listening to their music. So like it was kind of like this like exchange of sorts and we were like, oh yeah, this is the same vibe. So like even like by the time that we started um uh, having those like zoom meetings um uh, like we were like oh we kind of already kind of were familiar with each other's work to the point that it kind of felt comfortable talking and then like we started being like oh like what what track should we use um you know for this game uh what kind of story idea should we like kind of like 
think about what kind of vibe and stuff and that was like gradually something that we figured out like over like a few few sessions um that we had like that we have weekly um yeah that's what happened <laughs> and yeah and i uh i think we um are, are yeah i think that uh a big part of that gelling process was that it was um overwhelmingly facilitated by Mays, who um, bite into it, uh, listeners might already be familiar with as a part of that family, who um, has, you know, um, has, has an understanding of both game development and music and music making and has really helped us um, work through things together and um, communicate in ways that make sense, which I think has been um, of a huge amount of value to the project. Yeah. And Cecile, I've uh, looked at your website and uh, gone over a few of your artworks. You're, you're fairly prolific. You've got uh, like you're involved with zines and stuff as well. And and Nick, you're of course you're a Melbourne band, so you're you're trying to get out there, and you've got a lot of DIY um, mentality about it. Um, how do you bring that kind of DIY mentality to your collaboration? Um, I think it's like. I mean, for me, um, anyway, like, I, I think, like, Bitsy as a tool is quite similar to zines in the sense that it's quite, like, um, how do you go, like, intuitive and, um, you know, easy to do and it doesn't cost anything and it's, like, you know, that that sort of thing. So, like, already, like, the the format, I guess, in a way, matches that DIY aesthetic and, like, feeling. Um, I don't know what you think, Nick. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I guess, um, I, I don't know if we've necessarily brought out our DIY-ness to, to this project from the, the end of, of Cable Ties, but I think we've definitely, um, found a collaborator with whom we share uh, a lot of, um, creative values in Cecile and feel very lucky to be able to, um, work with someone who is, into making um, things that resonate um, emotionally out of um, quite simple components, which I think is a way that we like to work as well. Yeah. And also, um, Cecile, this one's probably more relevant to you, but you it's released on itch.io. Um, yes. Have, have you released any other games on this platform? And um, do you want to uh, talk about the benefits of releasing uh, on this collaborative uh, website? Yeah. So um, all my games so far have been released on itch.io in some form. Um, even the ones that got commissioned, you know, like they would they would be released on like, say, VoiceWorks or Liminal's website first and then like, you know, about like t- two weeks to one month later, I'll just like put it on itch so that it kind of like reach like reaches maybe like a you know, like a different um, um, audience. But, um, yeah, I think the benefits of, of releasing on Itch is that, again, it doesn't cost anything um, and you kind of get to... It's. Um, I think we described it with Cable Ties as, like, the band camp of, of games. And I think that's quite, like, a, an, an appropriate label for it because it's quite... Mm, I would say, yeah, I guess maybe community-driven in the sense that it's, like, mostly just 
you know, people who make games either as a hobby or like small teams, small indie teams, you know, it's not the big business type, uh, but more like just releasing stuff for fun or, you know, whatever. And, and even as we've seen, um, a lot of charity stuff also happens on itch, um, just like an on Bandcamp actually. <laughs> but yeah, like when we, when we saw that, um, huge, 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 huge bundle, um, that was made for, uh, Black Lives Matter, and and stuff that was really really cool and and yeah I think that that kind of um, kind of cozy uh, like community feeling is probably the best uh, aspect of itch and I think that's pretty cool. Yes, uh, I noticed uh, that your last game got a got a lot of positive comments. Uh, how do you enjoy the that side of it? The 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 feedback from other interested parties and other developers. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because sometimes I think like there is a difference between how like people mostly interested in games react to my work as opposed to people who are like mostly interested in like, say, like literature or whatever, <laughs> you know, like it's like there's they're like are slightly different things that people resonate with. And, I'm, and I was really like really surprised that so many people really like the music and I was like, oh my God, that's really nice because I had never done music before and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, like in a, in a way that I, um, I'm glad that, you know, that's that's something that people noticed. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, like I think like this was particularly important on, on the first game that I made, which is called Novena. And like that got like really it, it was really um, interesting because it got really popular uh, and I was like, oh, man, what, what the hell? <laughs> and and yeah, that, that was such a, a good um, motivator for me. So like yeah like so so my first game Novena got really really popular had some really really good like um, reactions and which kind of made me more eager to continue making games even for fun and and yeah like that that was that was a good a good like pat in the back I I, I almost say push in the back and I'm always like no that's a bad thing in sports it, that's not good um, <laughs> yeah that that's how I feel awesome well um, thank sorry. Do you get much of a sense of like a, a, a Melbourne or like an Australian community on, on the platform or is it um, just kind of, there's um, no sense on, of Yeah, on, it's just interesting because I'm not like on itch all day um, and I think like the sense of community with the Melbourne game dev scene um, comes more from, uh, sadly not anymore right now, but uh, I guess like events um, in real life and, um, you know, like, discords and group chats and all that stuff where where people people who I guess we already know each other and we share things that we like and stuff that we're working on and that sort of stuff is definitely felt uh maybe not not just on 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 itch but maybe like outside of that and then we like just use it as a as a, as a place where we compile everything that we make and and like have, make it more accessible for um other people to play and stuff i think that's um the point of it yeah yeah well yeah thanks so much for coming on the show where can people uh find the game i mean we've already discussed it but uh where where can people find the game yeah um they can find on my on my itch page it's uh hariva.itch.io um hariva is spelled h-a-r-a-i-v-a um yeah that's yeah. it <laughs> and thanks for coming on the show nick um you've recently you're in the last uh little while you've released a new album where can people find that um Oh, look! In the in the spirit of that, they can find it on on Bandcamp, which is yeah, the 
<laughs> to put Cecile's thing backwards, it's the the musical equivalent of HIO. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can you can find it up there. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. We have about four minutes left in the show. Um, so just a, a few little bits and pieces that we wanted to um, throw your way. Um, as the uh, official robot show of Triple uh, R, we do like to bring you robot news. Um, and this one um, was kind of funny. Um, a chewing robot could one day test uh, dedicated gum. I, I know this is something that you've all been thinking about. And <laughs> on my mind constantly. On your mind constantly. Who will chew the medicated gum if not us? Um, well, now that has been answered. Um, so given, uh, I guess, the mechanics of how uh, compounds and flavours slowly dissipate out of gum uh, as it's being chewed, scientists are interested. Maybe it's a good way to do oral delivery of, uh, of drugs uh, via medicated gum. Um, they've designed a robot um, uh, as a way to standardise the chew test. Um, a team at Bristol's uh, Britain's University of Bristol have found the humanoid chewing robot. And there's some uh, great photos of some uh, sample tests where um, they chewed the gum for 20 minutes and they also um, uh, mimicked the secretion of uh, saliva, obviously chewing uh, sort of releases saliva, and they think they're onto something. So I think we'll have to keep an eye on this one. Uh, we'll put it in the uh, put it in the bite bin. That's uh, some, that's some Willy Wonka-style stuff. Yeah, for sure. It is very Willy Wonka. Um, another one that I do like, um, when I saw this, I thought this is great. Uh, finally, um, compost turners of the world can put down their compost turning forks and uh, potentially take over a new job. Um, it is a smelly job. No one necessarily wakes up thinking, I would love to turn some compost today. Um, it can be fun uh, on occasion, I guess, for the hobbyist. But uh, an autonomous compost turner uh, has been designed uh, as an autonomous vehicle. Um, I'll definitely tweet this out as well. Um, it's a great photo of uh, a tractor-like object um, just scanning over compost um, and uh, doing a better job of turning it. I do wonder, um, Joe and Dan, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but I've been doing some uh, runs in the morning and there's a place where they drop off all the compost and all the wood chips for the local council uh, near where I am. And on the cold mornings, you can actually see uh, the steam coming off it like crazy. You can actually get like a good temperature up in the compost. It gets up to to quite high temperatures. Did you did you know that? Yeah, I, uh, I regular regularly sleep in my compost during the winter to keep warm. <laughs> good idea. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you don't want to do that, there's also another course you can pick up, Dan. I think that you've got some. Yeah, if you've ever wanted to break into the mainframe but don't want to break the law while doing it, um, the Complete Ethical Hacking Certification course is on sale now. I think um, the thing that excites me most about that particular thing is hopefully we can turn around the, the stock image of what a hacker is with those kind of like uh, green binary cone screens and folks in hoodies and stuff like that. I'd love to see uh, an ethical hacker make it to the top of the stock image galleries. Hack the planet. Um, thank you very much to our guests uh, on Bite Into It tonight. Uh, Bite Into It tonight, Ron Curry of uh, IGEA, uh, to Cecile and Nick, um, Joe, Dan. It's been heaps of fun. Um, I hope you enjoyed it too. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.